0: I'm Abby Atkinson and this is Don't Let Dave Win, the podcast that explores mental health and that negative inner voice that we all have within the world of the arts industry. This is the final episode of series one and so I wanted to end on a high and the perfect guest for that job is Ben Salmon, an award-winning playwright and actor. He is one of the most hysterical people so I had an absolute blast recording this episode. I won't lie to you, the sound quality on this one is not the best, we had a few technical difficulties, but please persevere because Ben has some incredible advice on how he quietens his inner voice. Ben chatted to me about his solo show Blowhole and how terrifying but simultaneously how liberating it was to perform a one-person comedy show. And we also discuss being queer and how important honest representation within the industry is and how seeing ourselves represented on stage and screen within a character we can really relate to, how that can really help to reduce that negative inner voice. How are you doing today if you had to sum it up in uh, three words? What would your three words be today?
1: My three words for today would be um, I'm feeling tired and exhausted. But also (laughs) quite, um, I think my third word would be like, but quite content. I think I'm quite content today. And I think like that's been like a recurring theme of this week, which is quite nice. You know, that kind of happiness where it's like, it's not like, everything's fantastic, showbiz, you know, it's not like that. It's just like, no, I am quite content day to day at the moment, which is a lovely feeling, yeah. Good. Yeah.
0: Good, I'm glad. Um, I think, yeah, I'm feeling all right today. Um, What word would I use? Probably mellow today. I'm feeling a bit, like, compared to how I have been this week, which has been very sort of high energy, lots of like, ah, so much to, like, sort out. And so, yeah, quite mellow, quite... Yeah, calm and excited, I think.
1: That's cool. Mellow's a really lovely one because it's that same kind of thing of contentment where it's like, I'm actually just quite secure at the moment.
0: I don't know how long that will last. Of course.
1: (laughs) It's all fleeting. It's all fleeting.
0: (laughs) Ride it while it lasts. (laughs) Okay, so the idea of this podcast was to chat about those really irritating inner voices that we all have that just get in the way and put us off really and constantly remind us of our weaknesses uh, whether they're true or false um so yeah I decided to call mine Dave um so I was wondering whether you have a voice and if so do you have a name for it
1: I don't think I have names for my critical voices and I don't think I just have one I think I have quite a few different ones Um, and I yeah I haven't named them and it I think the different ones I have are sort of to do with all the different parts of my life really I think I don't know what you're like with your critical voice but I think mine tend to go after career stuff and work stuff and I think increasingly I've realized my critical voices tend to go after romantic stuff when it comes to like, like romance and sex life and love life. And like, and I think I only like in the past year, I've really realised like how intrusive those critical voices can be. And I've only started to realise and become aware of like, when they come up and how they come up. And it's quite, it's just quite interesting. And that's not to say like, oh, the work is done, because I think a lot of the work is about that lifelong thing of having to counteract those critical voices, and that's really hard sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but I think um, it is interesting how and when they come up, and mm-hmm. like you know, like just noticing like certain work situations, certain social situations, and I think the great thing about being aware of one's critical voice or voices is that. I think just ed- I think education is really powerful. You know, you can start to understand and sit with why is this voice coming through? Is there a reason? Is there a specific reason? And that can just help you sort of tune it out more. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's quite alarming when you think about. Again, I don't know what you're like, but when you realize, God, I've spent years and years and years of my life, my entire adolescence, perhaps my childhood just being infiltrated by these voices and how utterly soul crushing that can be not to sound like melodramatic but it's exhausting work like it's hard work like dealing with the critical voices but like what other option is there because they can be so awful there's just no other word for it and it can be really really soul destroying I think so i don't have a name for my voice to answer your question but i'm certainly aware of them a lot a lot more now which is like which is a gift it is
0: yeah yeah Yeah. no that's so true like so many childhood ones that you just take as the truth as well which i think it took me a long time to realize that okay it it's only partially true or it might be it might not be true at all it could be completely false and it takes somebody else to turn around and be like mate what are you on about like
1: yeah that's
0: a load of bollocks um Yeah, it's interesting that you have different ones for different aspects of your life, because I think I've kind of umbrellaed mine under the whole, yeah, I've kind of used Dave to be like a collective. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting that yours, Speechy More, is like very individual. Mm. voices why do you think it's relationships and sex life that kind of is the is that the loudest voice out of all of them
1: yeah at the moment it is you know at the moment it is it's really interesting because I think when I think about work stuff and like my professional career I definitely have moments of doubt I definitely have my moments of like thinking I'm an utter failure, which is such a harsh thing to say about myself. It's so hard but it happens. Like, that does happen. But also, I am quite ruthless when it comes to work and professional stuff. But, like, when it comes to love and romance, relationships, sex even, I think that feels so much more vulnerable for me and so much more of a "Ah, scary place to exist. (laughs) I think, unfortunately, it just comes with the territory of being gay. And I know that can be actually quite... A sad thing to say out loud. And I think it's actually quite an uncomfortable truth. And there's this I think there's a rhetoric at the moment anyway, where it's like, oh, it's it's great, like everything's just hunky dory all of the time for like, you know, especially like people who are younger than me with their sexuality and their coming out. But I think that's like I, I don't think that's the truth. I think unfortunately I think it's quite easy to forget, especially if you don't belong to the LGBTQ plus community. I think it's quite easy to forget for those, for some of those people, like just how intrusive homophobia is. And also, you know, I identify as a man and I think from as early as I can remember there's just been that incredibly, incredibly harsh rhetoric of what it means to be a man, and that means if you look, if you look around and see what people are saying in the media and like, you know, people who are in your life, it's all about it's all this stuff about being not vulnerable, about not being, you know, sensitive and really honest with all of those kinds of things in life, and I think it, like, not not feeling like that was something i could fit into from an early age because i think i am really i I love my vulnerability do you know what i mean Mm. i love being a vulnerable sensitive super honest kind of person and i think from an early age not feeling like i fit in with other boys uh that sort of just continued into adult life i think um And then you've got the trauma of what it is to be a gay man or gay boy, I should say, like in the school system in this country, which can be incredibly traumatizing really like not to go too heavy too quickly but like it just is inherently that way I think so I think those voices over the years have just internalized and it's only now like you know the grand old age of 26 where it's like oh I think these voices these critical voices to do with sex and relationships I can so clearly trace that back to Mm -hmm. you know the trauma of what it can be to be openly gay or you know a gay person who can't pass for straight like you know when you're in that environment of just like toxic masculinity where like no one is winning uh Mm -hmm. when you think back to like what school is like I think that's the origin of those voices and how they've sort of grown and festered but you know to for oh, a bit of hope. <laughs> it's, it's very sad, all of that. You know, the, what I said earlier, I'm like, but being aware of that is just game-changing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think I definitely don't feel super-duper comfortable with men all of the time still, but I'm getting there, you know what I mean? And, like, mm-hmm. to just be aware of, like, where these voices originate from. It's super exposing. It is super difficult. Like talking to you about it is really, it's really challenging. It's really exposing. But I think you you do owe it to yourself to talk about these things. So mm-hmm. you can hopefully see a world for yourself in which you're not constantly crippled by anxiety when yeah. it comes to certain things. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah, preferably, you know. No, preferably, that would be
1: great. That would be wonderful. <laughs> if that makes any sense. No,
0: yeah. definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, having all of those voices emerging in school, because I mean, school is just such a fucking toxic place at the best of times, let alone yeah. with all of that like going on. I think I was lucky enough in a way that I realised I was bi at university, so I didn't have any of the sort of school right. having to, you know, have people at school find out and... Uh, yeah I feel quite lucky that it was in a safer perhaps environment Mm. that (laughs) I had those realizations about myself Mm. um so yeah I can't even imagine how yeah how scary it must have been at school and like did you sort of have a proper coming out at a certain age or like how was that for you I did
1: and like I get Oh it's such an interesting question because I think For someone like me who you know you, I think people meet me And they you know correctly assume A wonderful thing about me they correctly Assume that I am gay and like you know I for all the Pitfalls that come with it I love being a gay man But like people often You know Get quite familiar and they say like oh I bet you never had to come out And it really annoys me it really Irks me because I think coming out isn't just about saying I'm gay. For me, coming out at 16, I think I was, um, was about the things that I actually probably wasn't saying with words. But what I was saying with that whole thing of coming out as gay, it's like, I'm gay and I'm cool with it. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And I'm actually really going to try my best to be more than just okay with it. I'm going to try on this beginning of this journey anyway to to fall in love with my sexuality for the first time. I think that's what people don't understand with coming out sometimes I you know, I didn't have the word, The words I just said to you I didn't have that when I was 16 because I was a child do you know what I mean and it was all just like unfurling um, around me but yeah coming out of that age it was definitely looking back an opportunity to be like look I know maybe it's really obvious that I'm gay and maybe it's super obvious to me that I'm gay but what I'm actually saying is like this isn't a taboo. Mm. This isn't a bad thing. This is a really important thing, and something that I want to fully embrace. And again, I'm—I don't know if I had the words to say that when I was 16, but I certainly had the feeling of that in my heart and my gut. And um, and and you know, it's really funny because, like, I'd say there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of gay trauma before that, but following from that. Um, not to sound cliche of, like, it gets better, (laughs) but I do think around that age, a lot of young people at, at 16, 17, 18, I think people... Get kinder, you know what I mean? I think people sort of shake off those really horrible, childish things of like tormenting one another and actually start to celebrate one another. And I know that's maybe not the lived experience of every queer person across the country right now or in the past or whatever, but you know, it was it was certainly enlightening, like how I was surprised at how life felt so much better so quickly and that's not to say that there weren't some bumpy things along the journey Mm -hmm. (laughs) around that age of 16 to 18 and the early 20s like there was still stuff that came up with certain people in my life and and whatnot that felt quite tricky to navigate but um no it, it it did things were better But things just get more complicated in a way that no one tells you about, I guess, with sexuality stuff. It's like, I'm 26 now, it's 10 years since I came out. And, you know, I guess no one tells you at that age when you come out, like, life isn't going to be perfect all of the time, is it? And I think also that's a lot of my critical voice stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I really want stuff to be wonderful all of the time. And yeah. I think critical voices really don't like that, you know, because they want stuff actually ironically to be good. The critical voices I think in my head are sometimes coming from this place of like everything needs to be perfect. And like that's just not a life that's possible. Yeah. And not necessarily a life that you want because life is frustratingly but also beautifully quite nuanced if that makes sense I'm aware I might be rambling
0: no no for sure because yeah it it is that and yeah I don't know like we all strive as humans towards this like idea of perfection and wanting to reach our like Mm. peaks whatever that means and like yeah kind of coming to the acceptance and realization that like things are never gonna feel I don't know. You're not. You're not going to feel like, oh, okay. I've I've ticked all my boxes now. Mm. I am, you know, at the peak of my career, relationships, personality. Mm. Like I am, you know, a finished. This is the target. This is what I was striving towards. Oh like, my god! But it's okay to not feel like that. And and yeah, those voices sort of push you to believe that you should be striving towards that, which is just such an unrealistic goal to have.
1: Totally. but And I think that is actually quite a queer thing. Like the longer I've lived, I sound like I'm 96, the longer (laughs) I've lived. But like, I think that's a very queer thing of like, oh, you know, and this is to generalise, but I think the vast majority of queer people do go on some sort of journey just before they're coming out, maybe like during their early years of like, things feeling pretty emotionally tempestuous. And then you get to a point where you're like, right, okay, now I know who I am at this age of 16, 18, or perhaps, you know, older for some people. Okay, but now I've got this. Now life's going to be fabulous. I'm going to be the most fabulous writer or actor or whatever it is, even if you're not in a creative industry. And that is just, that is soul destroying. You know, you're right when you say like, it's just not obtainable, it's not helpful, it's not safe, it's not pleasant. Um, but I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of that out there, not just, you know, for queers, but I think it definitely is something that's prevalent to our community. Yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. And how does that influence um so you're a writer, so like mm. having this, I guess, idea of um, yeah, like a finished product or goal or whatever. Mm. Like, how do you get to the point where you're like, okay, my story's at a finished point where I am ready to now put it on as a as a show. Like that must be quite difficult if your voices are constantly striving towards perfectionism and like a finished product.
1: It's interesting actually, because I think a lot of that energy of like striving for perfection, that definitely is something I have to manage when it comes to myself. But ironically with my work, I don't really feel that actually. Okay. And I think that's perhaps something to do with the fact that I get really invested in as a writer and also like as an audience member, as a consumer of art, you know, I'm super invested in messy characters and messy protagonists and messy stories. And, you know, Yeah, and I, so then it just, and again, it's this thing like I feel, I do feel incredible amounts of insecurity in some aspects of my life, particularly with like personal life stuff, but with professional stuff, and I'm not too sure why this is the way it is, but when it comes to work, when it comes to like, my artistry as a writer I can be I'm pretty healthy I'm pretty mm-hmm. secure you know what I mean yeah. I don't think a piece of art a piece of work if you're thinking about writing I don't think anything is ever really completely finished you know what mm-hmm. I mean I am I am a serial redrafter but like that's it's definitely an important part of my practice as a writer I love you know it's not just like a bish bash bosh job with me it's like no how can we sort of push the work to be as to be as bloody brilliant as it can be to be as truthful as it can be but I think you know when I think about you know finished uh work it doesn't it, it never feels finished you just leave it in an interesting place you leave it in a place where it's like time to just back off yeah
0: okay, um, yeah
1: and that doesn't feel tricky that feels really cool that feels really interesting And I don't know. Yeah, I think when I think about the professional side of me, I think I'm quite grounded and quite healthy. And maybe I think the personal side is catching up to that, which is
0: nice. Yeah. And yeah, you've already touched on this a little bit. But yeah, um, your one-man show, Blowhole, Mm. that you have described as being, yeah, a queer story Mm. about um, a flawed and messy character. Mm. Why is it so important to you to represent the messy rather than the tidy
1: oh that's such a good question the tidy because
0: it's that it's that and
1: I hate it I hate the tidy um because the tidy isn't real Mm -hmm. for me yeah in my opinion and I think if you disagree with me you should really think about why you're disagreeing with me like because you shouldn't disagree with me on that personally like you know what I mean it's Tidy isn't real, and I got Mm. really, um, I got really bummed out um, in my early twenties as an actor at at the queer work that was being produced. And you know, there's there wasn't a lot of it then, and I think it's getting a bit better now, but it's not great. And um, like there, as in like there could be a better amount of it. There is like there is amazing career work out there I know that we all know that hopefully but I got really frustrated with certain plays and a lot of stuff on tv that was about a certain kind of gay man who just didn't feel or look like me you know Mm. there's a very specific aesthetic out there of what it means to be a gay man you know someone who's white someone who is super physically toned with lots of abs who is like this ideal aesthetic whatever like and that and that's just problematic That is yeah. just problematic and you know those gay men are out there for sure but it felt like they were getting a lot of the airtime and as I say I don't think I was just quite disappointed really because these gay men didn't feel familiar to me but they also didn't feel familiar to the gay men and the queer people in my life and Mm -hmm. in my peer group it didn't feel reflective of like what it meant to be queer right here right now yeah um that's that's where blowhole came from you know and and you know in my opinion when you write about the messy you know when you write about the reality that comes with being a flawed slightly problematic but deeply lovable person like there's so much humor in that there is so much life in that there is so much glory in that and there is so much truth and relatability in that not just for queer audiences definitely for queer audiences but audiences of all persuasions and identities and you know Oh, it just, it's so, its just, and it's so boring. It is so boring. <laughs> like characters who aren't reflective of the, the people I have in my life, I find it really annoying. And the, the flawed characters are the best. They just are, they just are. And they are the most lovable because I think for audiences, we see, we just get them. We completely understand them. We understand what it means to be... A human who's just trying to make it work and by god there's a lot of us out there especially in the queer community you know I love those people with all my heart I am one of them you know I don't claim to be perfect and so it just felt so essential to write a character and to write a story that was reflective of that and especially and and to have that character not be um representative of like this muscled perfect Mm. aesthetic perfectly groomed person not just emotionally but physically like that felt so important to me because you know I'm all about real life I suppose and all of that yeah yeah
0: and also it can be I guess kind of dangerous to put out a character that is sort of the um stereotype you were describing of like really you know super toned super yeah like nobody is like that yeah
1: and super male yeah yeah. feels like that's like a real like whatever male masculine means but like really like alpha and not soft and not tender and not vulnerable and like you know, human vulner- like vulnerability, I think, is the most attractive trait in a person. You know what I mean? Vulnerability to be super honest, to be super real and authentic. Um, so yeah, that it felt like a reclaiming of that, of like, what it means to be a gay man, but also what it means to be a man. Like, that's something that really intrigues me. And I don't, there's so much rhetoric of like this like you know this like hard very brutal masculine energy which doesn't feel doesn't feel real it doesn't feel helpful it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. useful um, for men I I think that's something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment with current projects as well of like how can we reframe that rhetoric of you know what it means to be a man and actually can that look you know vulnerable can that look real and authentic in a way that's soft and tender does that make sense
0: yeah yeah for sure so acting and writing um which one came first for you
1: Ah, I was going to say acting, but that would be lying. It was actually (laughs) writing. It was writing. And I always forget that sometimes because I wrote lots and lots and lots when I was really, really little. Um, I was quite an eccentric child. I was definitely like a 47-year-old trapped in the body of a five-year-old, so you know what I mean. <laughs> um, I wrote a memoir. I wrote a memoir at the age of five, and I found it again recently at my mom and dad's house, and it is so funny. It is so <laughs> funny, and And I used to write lots and lots of bits of short fiction. I really loved storytelling in a very traditional sense of like writing in that kind of way. Um, And then I sort of forgot about it, which is kind of sad. Like it took me a while to get back to it because, you know, I think the way people are educated in Britain is quite uh, stifling. It's quite uncreative. And I think as soon as I sort of got, um, swept up in the school system of, and I was super academic I was super hardworking, and I sort of got lost in that um, and it wasn't until I was around like the age of 16 that I started to like properly act at school and I was really lucky to have a really fabulous drama teacher two fabulous drama teachers Chris Sugars and Wendy Plummer in case they're listening shout out to them <laughs> um, who were They were guardian angels. They really were. And yeah, and everything sort of just made sense from that. And it felt increasingly like possible and viable that like oh maybe this is what I really want to do as a career and I acted into my 20s and I still act now but it was like yeah it was around the 21 22 mark where I had a bit of a breakdown I had a bit of a sad moment of just being of just feeling really despondent of feeling like oh no I came to London to thrive and be a fabulous actor and be my own version of Carrie Bradshaw and it hasn't <laughs> gone according to plan it hasn't gone according to plan it's really scary what am I to do and it felt like and then it, the, that's when writing came back to me it felt like I didn't I didn't I personally didn't feel like I had a lot of autonomy over just being an actor whereas I started to write and stuff started to happen and it felt like this is where I have the most freedom this is where I have the most autonomy as a as an artist and also as someone. I don't know, like a professional person in the industry. Like everything's sort of just quite satisfyingly meshed together once I started to properly write in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, like I love acting. I do love performing. It's really, I love it. But the writing I think is what keeps me sane. It's like an act that sort of has to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it just feels like yeah, I always forget. I used to write lots and lots and lots when I was really, really little and it feels like a coming back to that very instinctive thing that I, that was with me when I was really little. It feels really nice, yeah.
0: Yeah, oh, that's so lovely. Would you say, are you more confident in one over the other or does your like inner voice um, sort of scream louder with one over the, the other or is it quite an even thing? Very good
1: question. I think it's... Um... I think my critical voice is definitely out and about uh, with the acting Mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. I think the way we, I think the way most actors are trained in this country and probably in, you know, lots of other countries as well, it definitely feels like a very harsh thing in Britain. Like I think there's just too much tearing down Mm. of actors when they're training. I think There were so many... (laughs) You come in with so many critical voices in your own head, yeah. and then you get lots thrown at you when you're training as an actor. You're like, "This is horrible," and the the horrible thing looking back is that like you're almost like begging for it when you're like yeah. an actor in training. You're like, "Yeah, rip me apart, tear me down," and it's when you look back after some time and you just go, "That is barbaric." What, what happened mm-hmm. to so many of us looking back? And it's like just not not the thing not the thing to do so i think it's because of that where it definitely feels yeah i feel more insecure when it comes to acting. and that's not to be like all pity party because i do think i'm a i would say i am a very very good tremendous performer actually i think when i'm given the material that i that really speaks to me i do a really good job i find rehearsals really hard as an actor i find them really hard i find them incredibly judgmental spaces even when they're not judgmental I feel the pressure and I feel the intensity and with the right but like when it comes to being in front of an audience as an actor that does tend to go away that feels really freeing and really special and really sacred actually as a writer there's not a lot of critical voice you know the actual act of writing and if it if it feels like I'm beginning to be a bit harsh on myself, I think that's the time to just step away and just have some more thinking time and go for a walk and Mm. live some more life. Because I like, I don't really believe in writer's block. I don't really believe in I, do, I, I was going to say I don't believe in bad writing, but I do believe in bad writing. There is some, <laughs> or there is some awful writing out there. To be honest with you, I, But I guess like if it's a struggle for me writing, then I just need to step away. Like mm-hmm. I think it's okay to have some thinking time. It's okay to live more life so you can find out what it is that you want to say as a writer. Um, that's the only stumbling block I really come into contact with, and I wouldn't even say that's a stumbling block. I think that's more the thing of just putting the pressure off myself and just like this is this is fun this is supposed to be a lovely thing this is one of the things that's most important to me and I'm not going to make it a chore even if there are deadlines involved I think um you get to a point with a project if there's a if there's a deadline involved that's like set by someone else, or whether it's like a production company, a producer, a drama a director. It's usually because you've got to a point where you're super invested in the idea yourself. So again, the writer's block doesn't really come in to me at that point. And um, and you know, writing is for me feels incredibly freeing, and the space where I can be. Most myself, even when I'm writing characters and stories that feel quite removed from my life and myself. Mm -hmm. So, again, yeah, there's not a lot of critical voice there, which is interesting. I don't think I've ever really noticed that before. It's quite nice.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting that there's, yeah, one over the other. But that's really cool that you found that, yeah, just taking a walk or something like that kind of stuff does work for you in terms of the writing. Yeah, and like I mean in a really broad
1: sense. Like, you know, seeing your friends and getting drunk if you if you want to, you know, like mm-hmm. just living life, getting the fuck out of your room and just like doing something that helps writing. And I think that helps with all art and all kinds of artistries really.
0: Yeah, because I mean A, where the inspiration can come from often, but also B yeah you're not going to be your most alive creative self if you've spent ages sitting in your room mm. trying to like depict something that's full of life if you're not mm. actually doing a lot yourself so no that yeah. makes makes a lot of sense. How did you find confidence wise performing a one man show did it feel <laughs> exposing or was it kind of nice to have the control um
1: it oh that's a good question. Um <laughs> because I think before I think anyone who performs a one-person play, whether you've written it or haven't, it is the most, um, I wouldn't say it's exposing necessarily. I mean, the material might be quite exposing, but if you're writing from a purely autobiographical perspective, I think it's quite, it's just quite scary. Mm-hmm. You're wa- you are walking into the lion's den, you know what I mean? It is Because there's no one else, there's no one else. And you've got no other option to be there fully seen by an audience. The minute you don't um, I guess the minute you start to hide from an audience as a performer and I obviously mean uh, emotionally, not literally, because that'd be hilarious <laughs> if you were just like hiding behind sets. Don't look at me!
0: But like, I do
1: think like there's an easy option to do that um, in a solo show. I think solo shows that don't quite land with an audience is because the performer isn't quite letting themselves be seen by an audience. They're not, They're not fully letting themselves be be with an audience, you know what I mean, and properly be with them, you know what I mean, spiritually mm-hmm. in that room, in that theatre. um So it's terrifying. That is terrifying because some people don't do that. Some actors don't go to those places because they don't have to, they don't need to. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes it the most exhilarating thing you will ever do as a as a performer, as an actor, and um, you know the I, confidence, I don't know if confidence is the word. I think, like, if you've got the guts, if you've got, like, the, mm-hmm. the yeah. ambition, the goals, like, the spur to just think, fuck it, I'm just going to go for it. Like, because I think your head can definitely give you a million-one reasons why you shouldn't do something. Yeah. But if you listen to, like, the brains and the minds that are in your heart and in your gut, then I think those two places of the body sort of just, like push you to do something that you really owe to yourself that you should really do oh but yeah like especially when I think about because blowhole I'm not on stage when the audience comes into the theatre I'm backstage I can hear them I can sense them (laughs) and then when you get when you have that yeah when you get that call to go onto the stage and you're running on it's terrifying but it's also like exhilarating I know I've already said that word but it is just the most um it's just you're really living I think Mm. you're really living if you're a performer if you're an actor and you really go for it with your work and if that happens to be a solo show then fantastic you know go for it Mm. and when you're really going for those kinds of scary but fantastic work things that's when the most um exciting things can happen for you as an artist and as a person I think.
0: Yeah which yeah must be incredibly daunting but I guess it's the whole like feel the fear and do it anyway. Oh
1: yeah oh yeah and it's amazing it's it's scary it's exhilarating and it's also fabulous it's also fantastic you know I haven't had a more nourishing process as an actor I just haven't and I mm-hmm. think I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly like more picky with work when it comes to Work as an actor because I think once you've had the best, you want more of the best. And mm-hmm. I know for some people, if they're purely performers, you know, if they don't have a practice as a writer or or as a director or as a maker, that can be tricky. And but that's not me. It's like, why would I waste my energy? Why would I waste my time doing work as a performer that doesn't fuel me the way projects like blow holders? And yeah. that's not to say like I will only perform stuff that I have written. I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm looking for work that feels. Quite scary. Like, Mm. oh, can I do this? Can I do this? This is quite a lot. But you owe it to yourself to go for it. Feel the fear. You're so right. Feel the fear and do it anyway. It sounds like a cliche, but it's there's such truth to that, and it's really special.
0: Yeah, and like, owe it to yourself to prove that you can as well. Like, once once you've done it and crossed that Mm. hurdle, it's like cool. Like a sense of like invincible to an extent, I guess. Like. If that doesn't phase you and you want more of the scary stuff, then like you're nailing it. Oh, yeah.
1: And you're leaning into your power then. You know what I mean? You know, you're again, it sounds cliche, but you're not letting the critical voices dictate and rule your life. You're listening to the gut. You're listening to the heart. You're not listening to that endless chatter in your head where that you know too much time in your head I don't think it's good for us I don't think it's good for humans Mm. I think sometimes we do need to be not all the time because again this is balance with everything isn't there? you've got to be a balanced person haven't you but like I think sometimes you owe it to yourself to just think you know what fuck it I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna do it
0: yeah it's fabulous yeah for sure what advice would you give for someone wanting to enter the industry whether that is as an actor or a writer or just arts in general.
1: Um, you know what? It's quite,
0: it's quite sad.
1: Like what I feel in my body when you answer, when you ask that question, oh, just like, like the less exciting stuff comes to mind. Unfortunately, like, like look after yourself. Mm. And I'm not. I don't just mean like in terms of like a self care perspective. I sort of mean look after yourself from the predators that are lurking in this industry and I know that sounds that's quite a heavy thing to come out of to come out (laughs) with first but I think unfortunately there's there's a lot of bad guys out there there's a lot of bad guys who I think yeah definitely for queer people and lots of other people as well you just got to be really careful about who you surround yourself with because there are some Uh, some predators as I say and there's also people who just um who just steal your energy who just don't lift you up the way you might lift up other people and I think that can be an incredibly dangerous thing after a while so I would say you know go into the industry with an open mind but Mm. just look after your heart look after yourself in all forms of like the phrase you know like and be careful of certain people you know don't just hand out your trust willy-nilly. And I know that's a really heavy thing to say, but I think it's really important because unfortunately we don't work or exist within a perfect industry. Yeah. And you know what? Like, take your time. Take your time to really understand and discover what it is that you want to say as an artist, whether Mm. that's as a writer, an actor, director, maker, whatever. I think I've only really begun to with words understand why I'm a storyteller, why I like telling stories, like I why do I why do I write? why do I act? you know for me it's about because I feel so passionate about writing stories that speak to what it means to be queer today and all of the complexities that come with that, you know, the humor, the sadness, the heartbreak and also the life affirming moments of ah just a wonderfulness um, and all the texture, all of the texture that comes with that. But, you know, I think I've only been able to articulate that in the last, like, two and a half years. Like, so take your time to discover what it is that you want to say. Don't be in a rush. And as I'm saying that, I'm like, oh, I could really listen to my own advice there because we're on that treadmill, aren't we? Of like, I've got to get there. I've got to get a BAFTA. Where the (laughs) fuck is my BAFTA? Do you know what I mean? And it's like... Just take your time. That's my number one thing It's just there's no rush. Yeah. There's no rush. Even when you think there is a rush because of all the bullshit expectations and pressures that are put on certain people. Just, you know, you just got to tune out. Yeah. You've just got to find your own way to tune out, you know, have a good support system around you because that bloody helps to tune out the bullshit. Don't make your life all about theatre or all about TV or film, whatever it is. Don't make your life all about showbiz because you're just going to be miserable you know what I mean like again that thing I said earlier just like live your life man live your life and yeah your artistry can be a part of that but it can't be everything yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure like be an actor second I think someone said Mm. said to me once like that should be the least interesting thing about you Mm. I was like okay yeah I like that like yeah remember to live as well yeah um very important Uh, last little thing before we finish Mm. I'm going to put you on the spot and if you had to give your voice a name what would it be? or if you have multiple voices maybe maybe that's a difficult one for you maybe they're different names
1: maybe they are Um, the first name that comes to mind is Claire and that's not like to shit on anyone who's called Claire but like you know I just think Claire is like that annoying person at work where it's like Claire, like, we're just having a good time and you're sort of, like, railing on the parade. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're just having a bit of banter and you're fucking, like making a mountain out of a molehill. Is that the saying? I never really yeah. know the saying. So I'm so shit with cliches and sayings. But like, it's that. I think it's Claire. It's like, wind your neck in Claire. I think she's like <laughs> the queen of the critical voices in my head. And it's complicated because Claire is me. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, critical yeah, yeah, voices, yeah. they are all you. Oh, for you know? sure, yeah. So, you know, with, with love to Claire, it's like, shut the fuck up. Um, calm down like just winding naked any other names (laughs) that come to mind maybe like the ones about romance and love and relationships i think i think that's a male voice i think that's Mm. more like a like a ronnie like a really annoying guy ronnie again not to shit on anyone who's called ron or ronald (laughs) or ronnie but just like that annoying guy who like cat calls you in the street and you're like Fuck off, I don't want you to talk to me. Um so Ronnie, Ronnie comes to mind, you know, that really annoying Dell boy who's probably nice, but it's like fuck off, I'm not in the mood.
0: Yeah. Ronnie is that. Take voice. the hint, I don't want to talk to you. Yes, that yeah. That. yeah. I love it and yeah it's a difficult thing because again with this podcast it's like I don't want to shit on any Daves I'm sure there's lovely (laughs) ones out there
1: but also you know no disrespect to anyone called Dave but Dave is a sad name it is just (laughs) a sad name no offense again no offense to Daves you probably get it you probably sat there like yeah I understand Ben I understand but it's like you know Paul why would anyone call a baby Paul now or Gary or Barry there are certain names where it's like oh no not now you know there are so many other names you can call someone don't call them
0: I think I think they're going extinct aren't they Gary's and that's okay
1: you know like we need to learn when to let certain things go that's okay you know endings can be good
0: i love it i love it claire and ronnie yeah Yeah. good good fit yeah oh thank you so much it's been so lovely just to catch up with you as well
1: Mm, i loved it an absolute pleasure
0: really cheered me up so thank you
1: wonderful thank you
0: thank you so much ben for the laughter and the honesty that you brought to that conversation And thank you, as always, to Stephen Sobel and Amy Sayers, All In Actors, for all of your support. And to Odin Ornhill-Marson for creating the beautiful music. And that's it. We've come to the end of Series 1 of Don't Let Dave Win. Thank you so much to every single person who has listened, and to all of the people who have helped me to spread the word about this podcast, and to make sure that it's reaching the right people. I will be back with Series 2 later this year. Until then, take care and please carry on this conversation for me. Speak about what needs to change to improve mental health within the arts but also within the wider world in general. And keep battling your negative inner voice. Don't let them win.